Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Before you begin, um, so Jackie, tell us a bit about where you're from and what you're currently working at. Okay, I, I come from, well, I live in Leamington Spa, so just below Birmingham uh, in England, uh, and uh, I'm on the staff team of a church in Warwick. Um, but my accent, if you get me excited this morning, hmm. uh, I'm a West Country girl, so I grew up in Bristol. So if you get me on my R's, I've got some very good West Country R's <laughs> in brilliant, me. That, that, that's, uh, okay, that's on context. Uh-huh. And tell us a bit about your role as trainer for okay. Mountain Church. Uh, I'm on the staff team uh, as a training facilitator. That's my job title, which uh, basically means I take responsibility in the church for all our leadership development, uh, including our house group leaders, developing our service leaders. Uh, I include included in that is some discipleship work across the church uh, oversee our young adults uh, work so really my brief when I came on the staff was to try and be intent- help people be intentional about their growth as believers generally and also in developing their gifts uh, so I kind of put my fingers in lots of pies I suppose Great. Uh, and before you went to Mighton, you were involved in um, various different types of ministries. Can you yeah. Give a bit of background. Um, prior to uh, uh, Mighton, I worked for an organisation called Friends International. Uh, I was their southern field director. Uh, Friends International encourages churches to reach out to international students um, as the thousands come uh, to the UK. And I had responsibility for staff uh, through the south, which was basically below Warwick. Uh, all the way down to the south coast, South Wales. And for a while, I had the blessing of Belfast. Uh, way back when Princess International first had a staff worker over here, I used to hop on a plane and come over to look after uh, Claire at that time. And prior to that, uh, I worked for UCCF. Uh, I was a staff worker and a team leader uh, for 10 years with UCCF based in Oxford, taking responsibility for the central patch. So Brill. working with students. Brill. Great. A couple of random <laughs> questions. What's your favourite food? Favourite food? Um, <laughs> that's really difficult. I was, <laughs> I've been prepped for these questions. Uh, chocolate buttons. Uh, I was thinking, oh, it should be something posh and expensive and exotic. But actually, comfort food, when I was poorly, that's my memory. Chocolate, and now you get giant ones. Oh. So, giant so chocolate good. buttons, I suppose, Great. would be my comfort food. Okay, I'll have to get you some of those. Okay. <laughs> Favourite holiday destination? Uh, Croatia. Okay. Love Croatia, beautiful. And what is your favourite thing? You're going to be speaking about Gen Y. What's your favourite thing about this generation? Um, they keep me on my toes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Is on that, that note, <laughs> let me pray for you as you begin. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord, and just thank you for the privilege of being able to gather here, Lord, in um, openness, Father, and thank you that um, you brought Jackie over safely father and we pray for her as she speaks lord that you would give her clarity in her words father that this uh, wouldn't just be an informative session but father that it would help us to know more about where um, maybe this generation are at with are with regards to mission and um, but ultimately in their relationship with you father and i pray that we would go away from today uh, knowing some um, 
new ways of how we can get alongside this age group and encourage them in their faith. And, and also that, um, as, as Gen Ys, they would be able to, to recognise um, maybe different characteristics of other generations and that we would be able to encourage each other in their walk with you. So, Father, we pray for us as we listen, Lord, that you would give us listening ears and an open heart for what you might be saying through it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you Thank very you. much. Well, it's lovely to be uh, with you. Um, I, I have a tendency to wander when I speak, okay? So I suspect I may end up down there by the end of the, the morning. I feel a bit distant from you, so I'm going to have to warm you up. Um, but... Uh, as Lindsay says, uh, my background is in kind of parachurch student ministry. Uh, I've done that for a number of years. So part of my DNA, I suppose, is that I've always worked with young adults, people stepping out of school into, uh, into the workplace, into, into studies. Um, and within that, I've always had uh, an intern. Uh, UCCF called them relay workers. Um, we used to have them in Friends International. Uh, so when I stepped into church work, it was very natural for me to start an intern programme uh, within Myton. And we have uh, graduates normally, uh, or those up to kind of about 30 who come and give a year of service uh, in the church. What I've noticed over the probably 20 years I've been involved uh, in training that kind of age group is that I used to get them, and I increasingly now say... I don't understand. <laughs> um, so I guess when I started that, I was probably only about five years older than them. They were part of my peer group, in a sense, part of my generation. In fact, I, uh, I met a couple of them for supper last night because they uh, are local and I haven't seen them for 17 years. And they crushed me by telling me they thought I was about 40 then. Um, but then I guess everybody is old to youth and students. I was actually about 25, 27 when I worked with them. Um, but as we talked, I thought, actually, we come at things from the same perspective. Um, now the age gap is such that I probably could be their parent. Uh, and I realise I'm from a different generation. And there are things they do that I just go... I don't understand this. Uh, let me give you, I guess, a few uh, examples. Um, so they increasingly, I find, do everything at the last minute. Uh, so we've had three interns apply for the church uh, over the, probably the last three, actually, who all applied in August for a September start. Uh, whereas we used to have deadlines where people applied kind of in February, March, and I knew who we were getting. So I'm still living in now the assumption that I'm not going to have an intern next year because we haven't had an application. But I've entered a number of Augusts over recent years assuming that, and then somebody has materialised because they do things at the, at the last minute. They seem to need a lot more reassurance. Uh, they have difficulty in making uh, decisions, and so we've offered, and then people have declined, even though we've put a lot of time into the process. Um, and uh, one of the reasons I guess I started exploring this whole generation thing was um, I was part of uh, a leadership programme in England called Arrow, uh, run by CPAS, which I think has now started over here in Ireland as well. It's a great programme, uh, went through it as a participant, and uh, then was invited to be involved in the kind of core group that manages the programme. And they had noticed a significant shift in the leaders they were having on that program, all who were involved in church or mission leadership uh, from when they started to what they were getting through. And they began to be concerned about that and want to know why. So they started thinking about Gen Y and drew me into that discussion. And that began then to provoke me to think, well, how does this apply in 
uh, the church and uh, we've done a variety of things within our local, my local church uh, to begin to try and help house group leaders and our elders and staff think about what some of the traits are of Generation Y, also what the traits are of other generations. So guys, you get off the hook this morning because I don't have time to look at all the different generations, uh, but as we put one under the microscope, all of us could go under the microscope for generational traits and personality. Uh, So we've done some of that in the church. I don't claim to be an expert. I claim to be a work in progress, I suppose, in this. So what I'm going to offer to you are some insights with the hope that you will do some work as to what this looks like in your your context. Uh, But I do find it a fascinating uh, area for us to be considering. So my goal is to start with, I guess, to uh, give you a little bit of information Uh, And then we'll begin to work on some traits and some applications. So that's where we're going to go through. But I've I've confessed uh, my kind of observations as a Gen Xer. Uh, I'll explain what that means in a moment. I just wonder what uh, your observations are of working with young adults uh, in your church. So... uh, how many, how many of you, local churches and mission agencies, I kind of assume, are here? Is that kind of about right? Um, how many of you have young adults in your church? So we're talking 18 to 30s. So, yeah, everybody. How many of you have them active in service uh, in your church? You know, banging the door down to get involved in serving. Yeah, good. How many of you have them in your mission prayer meetings? Okay, a few <laughs> now. Uh, how many have sent out young adults uh, as short term, so a gap year mission in the past? Yeah, must be. How long have you sent out mission, long term missions, so five year plus kind of commitments? Okay, great, good, a few. Now, what are your observations of young adults at the moment then? Give me a few back. I, I let you know. What points do you go, why do they do that? Ever, ever, ever say that of your young adults in the church? Was it just me? Could be. I'm a cynical Gen Xer, so you know it's fine. But anyone ever say, why do they do that? Okay. Yeah. So the last minute nature. Um. Okay. So wanting to follow somebody else. Yeah. That's a. Yeah. Any any others you've observed? Well, I really don't want to unsettle you now then by suggesting a whole range of other, uh, other traits. Right. Um, well, there's always been... So, oh, that's not very... Can you see that? Yeah. Um, there's always been uh, bemusement between the generations. Um, so this is a 13th century quote. The world is passing through troublesome times. The young people of today think of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They are impatient of all restraint. They talk as if they knew everything. And what passes for wisdom with us is foolishness with them. As for the girls, they are forward, immodest, and unladylike in speech, behavior, and dress. Uh, So that was written in the 13th uh, century. Um, So there's always been some bemusement between the generations. I think one of the differences today is actually the pace of change in society. And actually, uh, now the workplace has had four distinct generations at points within it with distinct approaches to life. Um, That's leaving aside uh, kind of children. Um, 
So sociologists, you'll see on your handout, if you uh, read it or up on the screen, have basically divided uh, the generations into to these groupings and have slightly different names for them. So those who fall roughly in the 69 to 92 age bracket uh, are known as the silent generation. Uh, so they lived in the shadow of the war and the Great Depression. Uh, they tend to be patriotic, patriotic loyal, hardworking, uh, there's a respect for authority, uh, a great sense of self-sacrifice, uh, and people that defer gratification. So a long-term commitment uh, probably to mission and prayer uh, because of those traits. Um, next to them came the, the boomers, uh, which I expect many of you are, the 50 to the 68 age bracket now. Um, the post-World War II baby boom. Uh, and with that came a real go-get attitude. Um, it's the generation that I guess are now approaching or entering retirement. Um, and it's worth, uh, it's worth noting, this is an aside and this is a separate seminar, uh, which I can't do, but um, that there are more over 65s now in the UK than there are under 16s. Uh, so if you think about who you should be mobilising for mission, I would suggest that one of the targets should be your young retirees. Uh, because there's more of them, they have disposable income uh, in a way that actually my generation, we're not going to retire <laughs> the way things are going uh, at the moment. Uh, I mean, I'm preparing myself to be working in B&Q or Sainsbury's uh, for quite a long time after I leave church work. Uh, but you know, th that's, that's a generation who had a go-get attitude of changing things. So they were optimistic, idealistic, uh, anything was possible. They were the agents of change, hardworking. They were the, probably the generation that was influenced by some of the new mission agencies. So the OMs, the YWAMs of the world, came out of baby boomers uh, when, they were, when they were younger. Uh, we then move into Gen X, uh, coined by Douglas Coupland and his... Uh, famous book on Generation X. Um, we now are kind of in the 34 to 49 age bracket. Um, there are half as many of my generation as there are baby boomers. So we are a hidden generation uh, who tend to be slightly cynical. Uh, friends are more important than, or more important than uh, family, suspicious of authority. Uh, we were the hinge generation between a culture that approached life through the eyes of modernity and post-modernity. So we're never quite sure what to make of life. Uh, so we are that hinged generation. Um, it's worth just noting in passing there that there are about half as many of my generation, so the 40-somethings, as there are those ahead of us. So if you find a drop in those going out to mission or a drop in attendance in the church, it, part of that is just the reality that there are less of us. Uh, it's not necessarily a sign of deep spiritual malaise. It's just that there are less of my generation than there are uh, those of you that are in the, uh, the baby boomer generation. And then uh, coming behind and the ones that we're going to focus on today is Gen Y. Uh, they're in the 14 to 33 age bracket, and we're, talk, we're going to talk lots about them, so I'll pass over them. And then Gen Z, Gen I, the internet generation, people are using different labels for those who are just approaching their teenage uh, years. But you see from that, for, for a while, there were four distinct generations in the workplace, which has actually meant that business has got its act together, possibly in a way the church hasn't, because folks are beginning to write on this from a business point of view, trying to work out how you lead and develop folks in the business world when you've got these diverse worldviews. 
uh, whereas it's a lot harder to find material written uh, from a Christian perspective. So I'll, I'll recommend a couple of different books, um, but actually a, a lot of what I've read is trying to work from the business world and the observations through into the church uh, context. Okay, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte is... Uh, reported or credited with observing that if you want to know how a person thinks, you have to imagine the world when they were young. If you want to know how a person thinks, you have to imagine the world uh, when they were young. So to begin to understand a generation, I would suggest that one of the things is that you want to ask is uh, how has their values and their expectations, their behaviour been shaped by what was going on in popular culture uh, whilst they were young? And for us as Christians, we want, would want to include what's going on in the church or the Christian culture uh, when they were going, uh, growing up. So here are some of the areas that you might want to think about. What was going on in music, film, uh, world events, politician, who are their heroes or heroines, technology, family, education, money, church, and religion. It will look different for each generation. I find this a fascinating. I did this with Myton, had an evening on this, and I got people into different generational groups around to answer this question, and we haven't got time to do it uh, today. But when we came back together and fed the answers together, it was just a fascinating glimpse to how the world has changed, and therefore how people approach things has changed. So take the issue of um, heroes or heroines, for example. Um, the boomers I had in the room, uh, their heroes were... Well, let me get... Uh, those of you that are in that age bracket, who would you identify as heroes from your generation? Sorry, the Lone Ranger. Excellent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Any other heroes or, or people that were looked up to? Or? The, Beatles. the Beatles. Okay. Dan Dare. Okay, you're, you're a much more creative lot than my lot. My lot <laughs> were uh, Martin Luther King, JFK, and uh, the 1966 football team to be in England. <laughs> um, then we asked the same question of Gen Y, and they came up with two fictional characters, Jack Bauer and uh, Jason Bourne, supermodels, and celebrities like uh, Cheryl Cole, which I found a really fascinating observation. It used to be that to become famous, you had to do something first. You had to achieve something. Now the heroes are people that actually are fictional characters, although you two have just worried me about this. <laughs> uh, fictional characters. And actually, you don't have to do anything. to be. Fa you want to be a celebrity. There's a difference. Celebrities have, if you like, replaced heroes, heroines, uh, in people's uh, thinking. Um, same with technology. We'll talk about technology in a moment. But you think about the technological changes uh, between uh, those who... Everything was done by pen and computers filled rooms to those who you know, have the power in what they hold in their hand that is, uh, is actually huge. Um, church. So the silence uh, in our area were influenced by the evangelistic crusades in the 50s. That's what shaped their approach to, to mission and evangelism. Our boomers were uh, influenced by the charismatic renewal in the 70s uh, in the churches in, uh, in our area. And uh, Gen X, Gen Y... Uh, more influenced by kind of different models of leadership and different ways of doing church. 
So even church culture, in what they're growing up in, has an effect on how they view the world and what they uh, expect. And for those of you who are uh, long-term experts in mission, I would encourage you just to think about what trends there are in mission that people have grown up in that is also shaping the approach to how they do mission, uh, because that will be there uh, as well. So the challenge in that is what do we do with the differences? Um, because we, we tend to wear our generation without even noticing that we have it uh, on. And therefore, the tendency is that the problem becomes somebody else's rather than mine. Um, and I know, having kind of begun to do some thinking on this, I suppose, that it certainly helps me identify my blind spots. It keeps me on my uh, toes, as I answered Lindsay's question. But partly because I can confuse my preferences with absolutes. So things that I think are my preference actually become absolutes. They become the way it should be done, um, especially in church life. We're really good at it. So attendance patterns, dress, leadership, style of service. Uh, I have a desire to legislate on things that actually Scripture is quiet on and actually are just part of my generational and personality uh, preferences. Uh, we can default to when they grow up, they will become like me. Nah, they're not going to grow up come like uh, me. Um, but the danger of that mentality is until they become like me, I don't give them responsibility or I don't trust them. Uh, because actually what I want is things to be done uh, my way. Um, so we need to be avoid defaulting uh, to that. And also, when we wear our, our generation, generational personality without noticing the blind spots, uh, we tend not to see our own weakness. Um, you know, there's the old proverb of you don't, if you want to know what about water, you don't ask a fish because they're too close to it. They haven't got perspective. And we need to be brave enough to ask other generations what they see in our generation, what are the traits of our uh, generation. Um, if we had a longer session, like I said, we'd put all the generations under the, the microscope. So it's being slightly unfair in just putting Gen Y uh, under it. But uh, what do we do with these generational differences, generational personalities? Well, three things I think we see in the Christian world. Um, we can see doing nothing, so we dismiss it uh, and suspect that actually if we do that and we refuse to change, uh, then probably mission will shrink. Uh, it will become an ageing population uh, if we don't do anything about it. Others have chosen the path of kind of pragmatic compromise, uh, so basically, this doesn't work, it doesn't fit anymore, so we create something else, which to me leads to fragmentation. Um, I should have confessed, I held my hand up right at the beginning, uh, Mighton uh, has chosen a route of intergenerational church. Our conviction is that we want to be an intergenerational church. So whilst we do... Um, Ministries that are obviously age-based, so children, we have some youth ministries, we have some young adult work, we have some seniors work, we have women's work, we have men's work, you know, that kind of thing. Our gathered church is intergenerational, and that's a, a decision we've made as a leadership team, that that's our, our conviction. Um, that probably slightly colours some of the way I look at this, but I do think there is a need to be careful of fragmenting around generations when the whole vision of the gospel is to break down barriers and communicate to a world that the gospel uh, supersedes 
differences. Uh, but you can. Pram pragmatic compromise is huge. Uh, compromise not in a negative way there, but actually we just give in to the uh, generation and create uh, youth church, we create uh, young adult churches and all that kind of uh, thing. Or biblical integration. We work hard uh, at flexing and changing. And in one sense, you guys who are experienced and passionate about mission are the best place to take a lead in the church in this. Uh, because actually the very nature of mission is crossing cultures and working out uh, how do you take the gospel into a different culture? What's culturally, uh, what, you know, how can you flex? Um, so in one sense, you, the same principles apply here. You're just crossing a generation within uh, your, own, uh, your own culture. Right, let me show you some of the labels, firstly, of uh, Gen Y. Let's uh, look a bit more closely at them. Um, here are some of the things that uh, are, Gen Y are described in the press. What do they communicate to you as labels? They're negative, okay. They never grow up, yeah. They're mixed up. They're quite condescending, yeah, quite negative and patron. Yeah, condescending. Yeah, yeah, looking down on them, patronizing them, yeah. I mean, none of them communicate commitment, do they? They're, uh, in that sense, they are quite negative. Um, we need to be careful that we don't make sweeping generalizations of a generation, but it is traits that are being observed, and they're traits that they reflect back. So some of the popular blogs amongst young adults and TV shows like Girls, which has been really popular, it's been basically the Gen Y equivalent of Friends was to my generation of Gen X, um, these are the kind of traits that are you know, there in that D the DNA of those programs. Um, one author has commented that actually Gen Y uh, are perceived by many people as being less mature uh, than previous generations at the same age. Um, or the New York Times has described young adults as a person with teenage tastes and an adult credit card dangerous combination, but, you know, uh, which I think is a fair, fair assessment. Um, and it's interesting that amongst some young adults, the idea of being a grown-up is quite a disparaging tone. Uh, so I had a 30-something sitting on my sofa this week as we were talking about church membership, uh, and at one point uh, he said, yeah, well, I really don't want to grow up. <laughs> and my hackles went up, and he went, it's really the wrong thing to say to me, Tom. And I then explained, and actually wasn't meaning what I thought he meant. Um, but for some, there is that reluctance to grow up. Um, and I think this is one of the tension points that uh, comes when we're thinking of sending people to mission and committing people to uh, various responsibilities in the church, is that the, ch the society that they are in wants to slow down, if you like, or keep them demonstrating childish characteristics, whereas the church, we want them to grow up and mature in the faith, to take responsibility, to use gifts, to function as part of uh, the body. Uh, but it's an interesting question. Um, when would you say somebody becomes an adult? Now, what are some of the ways you might answer that question? 18th birthday. 18th birthday. Okay. 
Legally, we're quite confused because you can do some things at 16, some things at 17, some things at 18 in the law. Which one actually makes you uh, an adult? But yes, 18th birthday is now the marker, probably rather than 21. Any other things that... Uh, Full-time employment. Okay, moving out from home. I mean, here are a few... Uh, let me tell you a few that... Um, have been used in the past. Um, leaving education, employment, getting married, buying a home, and having children have in the past been used by uh, society as markers of stepping into uh, adulthood. I think there's some real weaknesses in those, but we'll take those five. In my parents' generation, most people did that by their mid-20s. They, my parents are kind of boomers into the science generation. There was, it was easy to step into employment. Uh, they married uh, young and had children uh, fairly young. Society now makes it really difficult for 20-somethings to step through those markers and transition uh, into, uh, into adulthood. And many are actually just turning their back on those uh, commitments. Added to that, I think as a church... We also struggle to know how somebody transitions into, if you like, adult responsibility, grown-up responsibility within the church. Uh, so depending on your, your conviction and your theology, you might uh, baptise as babies and confirm later, but the age of confirmation can be teens. Uh, you may be on profession of faith, you may baptise on the profession of faith, but you may choose to baptise as you know, teens, which we do, well, they don't become an adult at that point, but actually, are they becoming functioning members of the body of Christ at that point? You know, uh, they go off to uni at 18, they come back, are they then step, how do we help them step into a full, if you like, mature membership within the church? And we don't have, we don't have a bar mitzvah in that sense, we don't have a, a rite of passage where somebody publicly now becomes a grown-up functioning member of the, the church. Um, it's interesting just doing a bit of an exploring scripture about when people, in, particularly in the Old Testament, became recognised as members of, if you like, that Israel in an adult way, when they were allowed to go to war, when they married, etc. So that's something to, to think about, that we, do, we lack that. Uh, key themes. I'm just going to rattle through a few themes that I think shape young adults, and then I'm going to get you to do some, uh, some work on this. Uh, so key themes that I think you need to think about in trying to understand what has made a young adult a Gen Yer a Gen Yer. Uh, firstly, parenting. Uh, so phrases have now entered the language of parenting Gen Y such as this. Uh, helicopter parenting. Okay? So this idea that parents hover over all of life. Um, so an example of that, I suppose, would be when I, went to un- when I was selecting university, uh, I made my five choices or whatever I was allowed to do at that time, and then I got on a train and went off to universities to suss the open days out. And I really, you know, talked to my parents a bit, but I was making the decision on which university I went to. And talking to peers, they pretty much did the same thing. Now, a university will put on an open day for prospective students and will run parent seminars as well because they are wooing the parent as well as the prospective student uh, because there is just a different approach to uh, parenting. Uh, Lawnmower parenting. 
I thought, I think it's quite a funny one. Uh, so the idea that a parent is involved in removing obstacles from a, uh, a young adult's or a teenager's life uh, as, they, um, as they go through stuff. Um, so talk to a lot of teachers, and a lot of the issues half the time are with parents as much as the child, uh, and the sense that actually little Johnny doesn't do any wrong. But actually little Johnny does do wrong. But actually the parent... Anyway, don't get me going on that one. I just have too many friends who are teaching. Best friend parenting... I don't know if any of you saw the Robinson Squash ad. Uh, it's good to be a dad. It's great to be a friend. So this idea that actually what you're looking for in your parenting is to be your child's best friend as opposed to being their parent. Uh, boomerang kids, who said leaving home uh, was part of it. Uh, 32% of Brits aged 25 to 39 live back with their parents. They can't afford property. Uh, divorce rates are going up, and there is just this boomerang sense of people coming back. Uh, blended families, high divorce rates, finding that actually uh, living with uh, those who are not their natural parents, uh, sometimes even folks being, if you like, left behind by their natural parents when a second divorce breaks down and they find themselves living in their step family. Uh, complexity in, in this area. Technology. Uh, do you ever remember an era when a phone went unanswered or you got the engaged tone that you couldn't leave a message, you just had to ring back? Uh, when you know, the TV only had one, three channels, uh, when if you were out and you wanted to contact somebody, you had to find a red box and put a 2P in it to kind of get, get through. If you wanted to watch a film, you went to a cinema. Uh, but for this generation, technology has always been part of life. They are digital natives. Uh, web, email, social networking, music, films, games, it's all online, and it's all instant. Uh, and everything is meant to be instant. And there is a huge fear with them, because everything is instant and is just there, of being out of the loop, of being left behind, uh, of making the wrong choice and committing to something when actually they'd rather go to what comes up later. Hence, they defer making decisions. So technology, uh, consumer, their identity is often built uh, and defined by what they wear, where they go, uh, play, holiday, work, all those kind of things. And everyone sees it because it's all lived out on social uh, media. And therefore, they want choice and they want to choose things that make them happy and fulfill them. Uh, economics and jobs. Uh, boomers tended to walk into a job when they left school uh, Gen Y leave university and the rate of gen, uh, unemployment amongst them is high. Many of them will expect to be made redundant uh, even before they're 30 and some are facing long-term unemployment. And yet at the same time, they want work to be fulfilling and therefore will also job hop. Uh, sexuality. You know, the Christian worldview on sexuality, I don't need to tell you, is no longer shared by society so they are living and growing up in a generation marked by the kind of hookup generation, uh, by cohabitation, by rising divorce rates, uh, where the age of sexual experience is going down, of homosexuality, of porn. All those things are just part of the air that they breathe, which uh, shapes the attitudes and habits of those converted from a non-Christian background, but is also bombarding those even growing up in the church. They are a messy generation. Uh, pain and hurt manifests itself in many, many ways, including, I think, commitment to mission. 
So if you are thinking through how to promote uh, mission amongst your young adults, can I say one of the places you need to start is with what you teach. Uh, It's interesting that the Desiring God website uh, has, I think, the only article I've ever seen uh, on the fact that a generation is being lost to mission because of sexual guilt. They They don't feel spiritual enough. They've made too many mistakes and therefore they feel they cannot step into mission uh, because of that. Uh, and that, I think, puts the onus on us who influence teaching programs or, or discipling young adults to disciple on issues where the rubber hits the road and to be talking these kind of things through when perhaps in the previous generations we wouldn't have addressed it from uh, the pulpit. Uh, they learn differently. Uh, classrooms look different to my day. Uh, They now have interactive boards and all this kind of thing, and there's a lot more discovery groups and collaboration. Um, Their identity is a lot about self-fulfillment and things like that. Right, what I'd like you to do... Oh, they show show up much better down there than they do down here. Um, These are some of the traits that I've pulled out from various works on young adults. What I would like you to do, I think at the back of your handout, you have a kind of table, uh, which says biblical, neutral, unbiblical. Is that right? Find that. Can you get into kind of threes, twos, threes, whatever size group you want to, um, and uh, try and assign those traits to one of those three categories? Now, I warn you now that some of you will disagree on this. There will be some that you want to put in more than one category. You will go, yes, but maybe, what does it mean? That kind of thing. Just kind of go with the flow a little bit, and you can put it in several if you want to. Um, But if these are the traits that are coming out of what I've just talked about, about what's going on in their youth and in society, how do we view them? Because I think how we view them will have a lot to say about how we work with them. Okay, so you've got uh, five minutes, maybe, a bit more, depending on how much I can flex my time here, Look at watching the clock. Um, so uh, it is in your handout, but I suspect the print has made it almost illegible, unless you've got kind of superhero eyesight. Um, so you might want to keep your eyes uh, up there. But, um, and if you can't see the screen, just feel free for somebody to read them, uh, just read them out to you. Um, and uh, you're trying to put them in the three categories. Let's just... <laughs> you probably had some of your own cultural, uh, your own generational traits revealed by uh, doing that and thinking about where you'd put things. Um, the kind of follow-up question I guess I would want to ask... To, oh, that was my attempt at some of this, and you, you would disagree with uh, some of them because there are things that you go, oh, yeah, but it just depends on what you mean, Jackie. You know, what actually does that word mean in different categories? It's very subtle. At times, at times, it just reveals the idols of our own heart and our, the parents' hearts as to where you'd put things. Um, you know, child-centered, for example, can be a biblical responsibility. We believe in family. And yet, actually, if it's that sense of so child-centered that you don't have to change, uh, you don't discipline, address, nurture, then actually that's wrong. Um, so, you know, it, it brings those kind of things into the four debt necessary for education now. So that can be a kind of neutral, I suppose. But actually, if it's buying for the sake of creating an identity and getting into debt because of buying pleasure, that would seem to me to be an unbiblical. So it, it does, I, I recognise, depend a little bit on uh, what you mean. 
But what I would want, I suppose, is to use this exercise, and you could do it with others uh, in your church, to go, right, actually, as we divide up what we think is unbiblical, neutral, and biblical, how are we going to build on this so that we encourage people into uh, mission? So I would want to look at what is biblical and some of the things that are neutral and say, right, what can be affirmed in a way that gets young adults into mission? So the fact that they love collaboration, they've been brought up in an education system now that does much more working with other people and team and discovery together, to me means that actually we probably need to promote team a lot more. We need to get them learning and discussing together and then going together. So some of our heroes of solo pioneer missionaries may not resonate with them. Because actually what they want is to work with uh, other people. So the question is, right, what, what can we see that we can affirm? Uh, obviously we want to affirm biblically, but some of our neutral things we'll be able to affirm. And then what do we actually think are unbiblical traits uh, that become blockers, if you want, to getting people into mission? And how then are we going to challenge that rather than just rolling our eyes at them and going, oh yeah, but you know, they just don't get it. You know, oh, Give up on them. Actually, what we need is to find ways of mentoring and teaching and equipping that is willing to draw alongside working with their traits to challenge that which is un, uh, unbiblical. Uh, so, last few minutes, uh, just with the people uh, next to you again, any things that particularly strike you as things that you would want to affirm as mission sex uh, in churches or things that you think, actually, that's a blocker that I see that we could do something about So just a couple of moments with the person, uh, people next to you, and then I'll just make a couple of concluding uh, remarks. Hopefully, uh, I've begun just to begin to fan the flames of some thoughts or discussion things that you can um, begin to process um, with others. Uh, But I just want to flag up to close, uh, I guess, five areas where I see particular challenge. things that you might want to think about where I just think the rubber hits the road in what we can do to help our young adults. Um, Firstly, I think to think about mentoring. Uh, There kind of seems to be, to me now, amongst our interns, just the expectation that this is normal. It's a normal part of Christian life and church life. Uh, It's expected in the workplace as well, whereas I guess many of us uh, in kind of older generations... Uh, you just got on, basically. Um, <laughs> and uh, you were kind of seen but not heard until you found your place in the work. Whereas now they expect a voice, they expect to be listened to. Um, so mentoring. Uh, they want people investing in their lives. Uh, so they need, I think, a greater degree of reinsurance. They need context to learn with others. Um, the sink or swim kind of attitude that uh, I guess even my generation uh, were nurtured in, I don't think is a good tactic uh, with them. So there needs to be much more come do with me rather than just sending out to do. So trying to create contexts where young adults are encouraged to do mission alongside other people, particularly those ahead of them, um, or are taken with you to things. Um, I think uh, specific invites to get involved are much better than just the generic 
invitation. So if you've got your eye on certain young adults that you'd like to see at your prayer meetings or uh, going to, to do teams, I think you need to sidle up to them rather than just announce from the front that, you know, notices. I don't know what your church is like. Uh, I feel that you can tell people stuff from the front, you can write it in your bulletins, and they still go, oh, we didn't know about it. Uh, you know, I resist... I resist the capacity to strangle some of my young adults at times. That can't go on tape. Because you just go, what do you mean you haven't been told it? But it just is not on the horizon. And yet you sidle up to them and give them a specific invite, and you're much more likely to get uh, them involved, particularly if you include food. Um, uh, But uh, on that mentoring thing, if you're mentoring somebody towards mission, uh, they do struggle with negative feedback. Um, I, you know, I kind of expect that some of us kind of entered the workplace with that sense of basically you were just really spoken to when you'd done something wrong. Uh, and then you might have a review at some point that told you whether you were going to get a bit more money or promoted or, or whatever else. Um, and that was just part of life. Whereas this generation is so much more used to praise. Yeah, they're special. They can do anything. That's part of the way parenting has changed and also education uh, has changed. And yet, therefore, taking on board negative feedback has to be embedded uh, in good relationship and often uh, a measure of uh, praise, which makes challenging some of the unbiblical traits really hard if we don't have relationship with them. Um, Because actually those unbiblical traits need to be challenged in a trusted uh, trusted relationship. Uh, So thinking about mentoring uh, in churches and thinking about identifying particular uh, individuals. You know, I don't know if you have as mission committees in churches or as uh, those involved in mission, you know, almost a hit list of those that you want, you know, you're praying for specifically by name rather than just generally. Uh, We've just had the privilege of sending out two young couples uh, from uh, the church and it's been wonderful just to watch uh, the, I guess, top end of Gen Y uh, going out with their young families to serve on missions. But they've been in the church 10 years as young adults working in different ways, being trained in different ways. It's that joy of sending your best. Um, but certainly have been prayed for by name. And so praying for people by uh, name from this generation. Um, collaboration, relational uh, work. Um, you know, they gain information, they learn in group, not uh, on their own so often. It's about discovery, shared discussion. It's about posting questions on Facebook or in a social media context, I'm waiting to see what the answer is. Uh, <laughs> I've got a friend that does it quite frequently, and I look and think, oh, go and read a book. You know, this is a shortcut to your prep. <laughs> but but that's, the way they, that's the way they learn. Um, but they can equally not be very discerning about the answers that come back. So I think one of our tasks is to help young adults grow in discernment. Uh, and giving them a context for weighing what some of the issues are, uh, their theological discernment. Because they can get everything through social media, I think the scary thing for those of us leading churches now is that they can be as influenced in the teaching of somebody who lives several thousand miles away that they access on the internet as they can by the regular feeding in their local congregation. So what you might be teaching on mission can be countered by what somebody is saying somewhere else uh, in the world. And helping them grow in discernment, I think, can only happen as we engage in conversation uh, with them. We have them in forums where you can uh, talk to them. Uh, They'll probably expect to work in teams 
So be sending teams out or doing te uh, work locally in teams. Um, they probably expect to be heard on those teams uh, as well. So if you are sending teams out, I think the preparation of the older generation of missionaries for receiving some of your young adults is an essential part of the work as well because it will be different to receiving uh, a baby boomer out to help uh, for a few weeks. Um, authenticity. Uh, they expect... Uh, leaders uh, as you head things up uh, to be real about life there's none of this you know closed door this is my mess I deal with it uh, they don't want you to just believe the right things they want to see you living it uh, and that needs to connect with their own uh, life um, so <laughs> the best way I could think about putting this was basically missionaries need not to be Teflon coated so when you're telling mission stories to inspire the next generation, they need to be real stories. They need to be about the reality of uh, temptation and struggle and mess and Christian wilderness, not just the uh, success uh, stories or the hero uh, stories. Because you basically, we basically cannot give the impression to them that actually to be involved in mission, you need to be a superhero, because many of them don't feel like superheroes. For all their self-confidence and the sense of we know it all, uh, sexually, morally, ethically, family life is a mess, often. And therefore, they don't feel superheroes and they feel disqualified. So, I mean, I just go back to that comment I made earlier and reinforce that actually a lot of the way into them is what you teach and how you teach it and the real issues you need to disciple them, uh, disciple them in. Um, Naivety, uh, they have at times been raised in praise. Uh, they think they can become famous. I was involved in an Arrow conference not long ago teaching, and I found it very sad stroke amusing uh, just to listen to one young 30-something leader basically saying he wanted to become famous. Um, I'm like, that's... Yeah, in all sincerity, he wasn't coy about it, but they've been raised in praise. They want to be influential. But actually, there's a naivety to it with regard to the cost uh, of mission, the cost of ministry, sacrifice, suffering, uh, that immediate gratification that they want. Um, all those, it seems to me, work against long-term commitments. Um, and therefore, working with them in a relational context to disciple them about what true Christian servant leadership looks like uh, is key. Uh, they will fear failure at times, so you will need to help them in their decision-making. Uh, often they just want someone to tell them uh, what uh, to do. Uh, so by the hand. Uh, and so this is a different type of equipping, it seems to me, that actually we need to make a step from those days where we kind of sent people out to go, and actually a lot of the equipping now is very labour-intense, labor relationally intense, uh, to see people move into to mission and technology uh, I don't know what you feel about technology some of you probably love it some of you probably hate it uh, or loathe it somewhere in between that uh, but I think basically it's a fact of life and we need to learn to work with it and not against it and they are a visual generation so if your technology and the visuals that you use look like something that has been created out of clip art uh, on the back of a postage stamp, you know what I kind of mean here, then actually that will not be attractive to them. And you might think, actually, it's not important. It's just a front, so, you know, having a conversation. But actually, to that generation, they are a visual generation. 
and it is important to them. So what does your web page look like when you, you, they come to your web page to think about mission? Uh, as a church, you know, what effort you're putting into that to promote your missionaries. It's those kind of things that I think are, uh, are key. Okay, well, there's a whirlwind tour of uh, young adults. I hope it provokes you to do a little bit more reading. Uh, here are three books that I would uh, recommend. Um, the middle one is written from a Christian perspective. James Lawrence heads up Arrow uh, in England. Uh, the two either side are secular books. One that I would add uh, to this is um, The Missing Generation is a fairly recent book, a little book looked out, uh, written by a Christian who worked with young adults in the church. Uh, my only proviso, and I know the author very well, my only proviso on it is that it does tend to assume a big church mentality. So uh, the, the author led in a church where there were 200 plus young adults to build into a work, which is not probably most of our experiences, but you can glean principles uh, from it. Um, so I would encourage you to uh, kind of keep reading, keep thinking, keep talking uh, on it. Uh, there's one article that I would add to that that's not on. Um, David Green uh, has written an article, an Aff in Affinity article, um, which you will find if you Google it, uh, Generational Differences in the Church. Uh, that was written in January 2013. So David Green, Affinity, Generational Differences in the Church. If you Google that, <laughs> um, you, that will uh, come up uh, for you. Okay, I'm going to hang around for a little bit if you have questions. I hope I haven't totally depressed you or bemused you. Uh, my idea was to provoke you. Uh, I guess my takeaway lessons... Uh, which I'm not meant to be patronising, but my main takeaway lesson is that they will not grow up and become like you. You will need to flex to draw them into mission in a way that is biblical, not just pragmatic, uh, but actually they will not become like us. But that is part of the joy of the body of Christ, isn't it? That there is a richness that we are all different and our generations are different and some of the things that they have in their generation should be honoured and affirmed and we need to be careful um, I need to be careful as a cynical Gen Xer not to just focus on the negatives and wish they were different but to affirm what is good about their generation and to celebrate it and to draw them into a mission as a result. Let me pray for us and then I will repent of the fact that I've kept you slightly longer than I should have should have should have we trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org/donate.